All right, what's going on, everybody? Back at it yet again. And here's the thing, Josh. I gave you the notes on the show, so I'm going to kick this one off with a little bit of a rant. It seems no matter what Kyle Dubas can do during this offseason, no one will be happy. He could have moved Matthews, Marner, Nylander. He could have went and signed Connor McDavid himself, and no one would be happy. Why? Because much like yourself, you said last week that you've moved on. You feel better. You're no longer upset. A lot of Leafs nations are still holding on to that loss and they're not letting it go and enjoying the fact that we may actually have a bit of a better roster than last season. But no, you can't take the blinders off yet. Everybody's still fueled with anger, I guess, because it's so soon. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up because in less than a month, training camps open and there's going to be development camps going on and everything for your team. So let go of whatever angst or problems you have with your team. For us, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. And get ready, because hockey is coming back. And start getting excited about the guys that brought in. But I want to ask you, don't you think it's a little ridiculous? I mean, we're what now? Two months removed from Toronto losing and blowing that lead. Can you not let it go and move forward? Guys have moved on from this team. New guys have come in. I think Kyle Dubas is doing a little bit of a good job this offseason with the limited cap space he has in addressing things for this roster. But I think you do have to park it and move on. Yeah, like like you said, people are, you know, giving Dubas a hard time saying he can't do anything right. I just looked at the signings he made in uh, free agency and, you know, he got Curtis Gabriel at 750000 Bunting at 950000 uh, You got a couple others of note, Richie at two point five, Mrazek at 3.8. You know, the total signings he had for guys that will definitely be on the roster was 10.7. You know, that's replacing Hyman, who was at 2.25, Bogosian, who was at a million, Anderson was at 5 million. Uh, you, you lost Bellino, who was making 1.4, Nash was at 2.75, and Thornton was at uh, 750,000. And that total was 13.15 million. So I think they brought in some better guys who fit the roles way better on this team. And you're also saving a little bit of cap space. And one of the things that was kind of hurting Toronto this year was, and we saw it against Montreal. When Tavares went down, there was no next guy up. Yeah, Nick Foligno could have done it, but he was playing injured. So they didn't have that guy because injuries hit them. That's what happens when – and th- there's no undoing it. You know, they got $40 million wrapped up in the four players, essentially. Got half the cap wrapped up in those four guys. Get over it. It's happened. Dubas has made these moves because that's what's going to happen. Curtis Gabriel is going to slot into this team. Michael Bunting is going to play a great role on this team. I think Nick Ritchie is going to have a fantastic season on the top line with Matthews and Hart. Well, let's pause on Nick Ritchie for one second here. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to read you something. You've probably seen this too, and a lot of people probably have. Maybe some haven't. So, player A, 15 goals on a line with Matthews and Marner. Player B, 15 goals on a third line and secondary power play unit. What player got more money? Zach Hyman at $38.5 million for the same 15 goals that Nick Ritchie scored in a lesser role with lesser talent with the Boston Bruins. Now, is Nick Ritchie going to be Zach Hyman digging out the pucks, high energy, driving the net, all of those things? Maybe. But he still scored 15 goals the same amount as Hyman with lesser talent. So if he gets a chance to sniff at that top six to be that more physical player, is he going to have the opportunity to score more goals, much like Zach Hyman? And this guy is younger than Hyman as well, with less injury history as well. So I think 
getting this player who was touring around, you know, uh, the Air Canada Centre or whatever you want to call it, Scotiabank Arena. He went in, checked everything out. I think the Leafs had their eye on this guy, and that's why Hyman to them wasn't a huge, huge concern because they knew they had to address more holes than one. But you go and you sign this guy who had the same output as Hyman last year in a lesser role, I think it's an absolute no-brainer. And the guy's physical, can scrap the boot just like Hyman. But I like the fact that he's younger and the injury history is not there as it was with Hyman with the knees, like I told you last week. That is a huge concern to me. But what do you think? Nick Ritchie, you look at the two contracts, obviously you're going to go with the one the Leafs signed. You have to. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I look at Nick, I'm, I'm a huge stats guy. I don't know if people know that about me. Like, I like the, the numbers and all that. Um, Nick Ritchie, you know, he he's he's been interesting. I think this was a really good value signing for him. He was just under, like, literally just under one expected goals per 60 minutes played. He came in at 0.99 expected goals per 60 minutes. What that means is for every 60 minutes he plays, he scores a goal. It's, it's, it's a pretty interesting stat. Uh, so he actually got over his expected goals last season and he still shot 9.6 below average. So that means he is due for a season. Like if you look at the stats and the curve and all that, he's he's bound to break out. And he's also, he only also shot 8% last year. And it's, it's on the low end. It's on the high end of a low average, but he could be doing a lot better. And, you know, if you look at the average shot distance between him and Hyman, Hyman's average shot distance was, I think 31 feet whereas Nick Ritchie's 27.6 feet. So he can get closer to the net. Um, you know, I just think he generates more offense than Hyman does, even though Hyman would get dirty in the corners. I'm not expecting Nick Ritchie to be Zach Hyman. Nobody can play that role Zach Hyman does. But I want Nick Ritchie to be the Nick Ritchie that the stats indicate he can be. And if the Leafs can get that guy in a line with Marner and Matthews, then it's going to be amazing because Marner and Matthews are going to be around the net after you know this guy can take the shot. Um, and what I have it here somewhere, you know, um, 18% of Nick Ritchie's shots generate a rebound. That's, that's a, you know, that's fantastic. That's at least, if he takes four shots a game, you're looking at, you know, an extra goal that leads to a, an extra rebound that well, leads to a goal. So, that's just what I'm saying. You look at the players that will be around that net, too. If he's on a line with a Matthews and a Marner, you tell me they're not going to bang in a couple pucks, a Nylander or Travaris. I mean, the opportunity is going to be there for Nick Ritchie, as well as it will be, for bunting, I really do think bunting is going to get a chance in the top six. I know everybody's like, oh, well, you know, he, he came off of the uh, the AHL squad, came on to the, the Arizona squad, scored those 10 goals. You know, it, it's not a big deal. You know, he has a huge sample size. Well, guess what? He's another guy that wants to A, play here, B, has the opportunity to probably play in a top six role and get some good minutes on the power play as well. And I do think he will drive the net and do all of those things to add energy to this squad. And I think if you look at all of the signings, all of these guys outside of, I think of Andre, Andre Kasha or however you say his name, I think are energy guys that you want to inject into your lineup that add that element of, Hey, I'm going to drag you into this fight. You look yeah. at Wayne Simmons last year. I talked about him. I talked about Thornton. I talked about Bogosian. I talked about Muzzin. You need all these guys sprinkled throughout your lineup. And now you have the opportunity to do that on every line, Nick Ritchie. Mm -hmm. Bunting, Curtis Gabriel, you name it. You can go through Wayne Simmons. They'll all be on different lines, and you can add and infuse some energy. Now, if you want to go and piss off a team, why not toss out a line of Curtis Gabriel, Wayne Simmons, and Nick Ritchie and just go ahead on? You want to yeah. go and get somebody. You don't want to go throw some hands. That's the line you can do. You have the ability now to do that. 
to make sure you maximize the opportunity to go after someone if you need to. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I'm, uh, I, I've just been going off the consensus of what people think, and they're saying Richie's going to play on the top line. If I'm, uh, you know, if I'm Dubis and Keith, I'm not putting, uh, I'm not putting him on the top line to start. I'm putting Bunting on the top line. He's got, you know, 1.15 expected goals for 60 minutes, which is fantastic. He got, yep. he, he scored 10 goals in 350 minutes, which was, I think it was like 6.8 goals over what he was projected to do, which is amazing. Uh, his average shot in front of the net was like 16 feet or something like that. And only 16% of his shots were frozen. So you're rebounds, looking at rebounds, 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 rebounds. You got guys to bang it in. You know, that could be, that's a guy for me who can play on the top line, but that can also slide down to that third line because he's around the net and willing to work put it in. Uh, there's not, like we said earlier, you said earlier, there's not too much of a sample size with him. So it'll be interesting to see what type of role he does pan out to play. Um, I, I just think these guys, it's they have to go bargain bin shopping, and I think they got the best bang for their buck for what they spent. I, 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 I don't really hate it. I didn't really hate any of the signings, to be honest. Look, I look at a guy like Andre Kasha, and I look at the injury history, the concussion history, all of those different things. And with the players they have throughout this lineup, maybe you give him a load of management kind of season where you put him in where you think this isn't going to be that physical of a game or you put them on a line, whatever. I don't know if they're going to protect them from that kind of stuff, but if you look at the players they brought in for the physicality, it looks like this would be a player that could benefit from some of that, but at the same time with those concussion histories, you really need to make sure you keep this guy away from those type of hits and type of plays. And I don't know about you, but the NHL, I know it's not shifting back to the, I'm going to knock you out and have a, a grinder yeah. or a, a scrapper in your lineup, but it's definitely leaning more towards the physicality side of things, like the hitting and the grinding it out and all those things. That seems to be where the NHL is going now mm-hmm. with the speed. So I think you need to Tom Wilson, basically speed, be able to score, hit, grind, be greasy, not like Tom Wilson, but I'm just saying that ilk of player is getting higher value. And you look at what the Leafs went and signed in Nick Ritchie and Curtis Gabriel and Bunting and things like that. Those are players that now can do those things in your lineup that a Tom Wilson or to Chuck or all those guys can do for as well. But I really want to focus on Andre Kasha for you. When you see this guy come in, he was highly coveted from Anaheim. Boston spent the first round pick to bring him over. Obviously injuries have played a huge factor. Do you expect a lot coming out of Andre Kasha for the Toronto Maple Leafs? For me, I'm expecting 15 goals, maybe 10 assists on a load management kind of season with this guy, because with those concussions, I know the Leafs are going to take it super slow and super cautious. And this might be a guy that might be your secret weapon come playoff time. I don't know. I don't know about this guy. He, it's, it's a tough one to say because there's not too much sample size on him. Like he played three games last year, I think. Um, zeros across the board. No, in his career, he's played 207 games, 43 goals, 54 assists for 97 points. So he's about a half a point per game. Uh, you know, he's a plus 10, which plus minus is kind of a weird stat. Uh, it's kind of only, it's one of those stats that's only relevant if the number stands out. 48 yeah. penalty minutes, you know, two power play goals. I don't know, this guy, I think he's, you're looking at him to be on your four, third or fourth line. Um, he'll, he may be able to fill in. I don't know, like, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I don't have, out of all the signings, this is the guy I have. I, I don't want to say low expectations, but I don't have, any expectations for him yeah. because I, I kind of just want to see what he does in the first 
third of the season, maybe the first quarter of the season, and then go from there and see how they can use them in the lineup. Because we, we're bringing in all these new signings, and uh, I think people are forgetting that we still we have some Marlies who need to come up too, right? Like we have well, we're going to talk about up. those in just a yeah. second for sure. Yeah. So th- those guys still got to come up too, and they could overtake their place because you know it's depth that the Leafs need, and they've signed some depth players. So. Uh, as for as for Cash, I'm not quite sure what his role will be on this team, but I think if they let him play his game, then he could fit on on this team quite nicely. No, definitely. Well, let's touch about those Marlies before we jump into the goaltending situation here with the Leafs. I look at guys like Nick Robertson and Joey Anderson. Those are players that need to take the next step and come into this lineup. Um, but from what I've heard and read and also talking with a couple of friends of the show who cover the Toronto Maple Leafs, they said that the, the, the Leafs are very comfortable with having Nick Robertson play the entire season in the AHL and bringing him up a la Travis Dermott towards the end of the season and letting him play at the back end of that season and then lead himself into the playoffs. That's like, a, you know, Travis Dermott-esque kind of thing. 27 games, get in the playoffs, get your feet wet. I don't think they're they're high on having him come in and – and take a spot unless he blows the doors off in camp. But, you know, they went and signed that uh, Gogolaglev guy as well. You know, another player that could come in and make some noise for this team. A lot of people are very high on him. But it seems like outside of Joey Anderson and maybe Mac Hollowell, there's not a lot of buzz around the guys from the Marlies challenging for a huge spot outside of Sandy and Lilligren, but I don't consider them Marlies. I consider those guys that should be with the Leafs right now. So I look at the players that I'm mentioning and saying, these are the guys that I think that should be up. I do think Nick Robertson should be in the top six, but I don't think the Leafs feel that way. And from what I'm hearing, they're completely comfortable with him riding the AHL for one more year. And I want to know for you, do you feel like that's going to stagnate Robertson's growth or should he go down there and dominate while they have all these players up here and then bring this guy up when he's a little bit more heavier and ready to go? I think I have a theory. I can kind of backtrack here where you're saying that people aren't really talking about these prospects in the minors and they don't have a guy coming up. When the Leafs were bad, all we would talk about is, okay, who's the next guy to come up because this team sucks, like before the Matthews, yeah. before the Matthews years. So you focus on the minors to see who you have there. We're not focusing on the minors anymore and the prospects because we can focus on the main team and be happy with the product. So we're not looking at the Marlies to see who can come up next because we already have those guys in the NHL. So that's kind of my little theory on why there's not so much talk around the prospects. As for the prospects we have, like I think we have a couple guys in the minors who are NHL or if not almost NHL ready. Like um, Amirov's probably a year away. Pontus Holmberg, I think he could probably fill in if you have to. Um, you know, Robertson, I think he's got to be an NHL player next year for me. You have to do it. Mikhail Amirov maybe one or two years away. Joey Anderson's shown he can play in the NHL. Uh, you got SDA. I'm not even going to attempt to say his name because I'll screw it up, but he's probably one or two years away. And then on the defense end, you know, Lily Pad, Lily Grin, he's got to get a look this year because he's an RFA in 2022. Bach Hollowell has shown that he can play. Uh, and then they went and signed Carl, Carl Dahlstrom and Alex Biga. So those guys are going to be challenging as well. So, I don't like when people say that we don't have people uh, that we don't have players in the minors because we do, we just haven't gotten a look at them because the talent pool on the main roster is there. Well, that's not for me. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying we're not going to get a look at them because this team has already done what they need to do up top. And it's going to be a battle for these guys. And that's why I mentioned Joey Anderson to me, because that's, that's the closest player I could see that would fit a role in the bottom six 
and wouldn't take away from the skill set of being in the top. So if you look at Robertson, he needs to be playing with players of his own ilk, mm-hmm. like a Matthews Minor, Tavares, Nylander. He needs to be playing with those kind of guys. I don't think sitting on the third line with, um, you know, Kerfoot or Spezza, you know, is really going to benefit his game unless you can specifically use the home ice advantage and line up match the hell out of it and get him on the ice against fourth lines and third lines to boost his confidence. But then you're line matching and then you're trying to get him out there just because you want him out there. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that takes up a roster spot to me that could be better suited for one of these guys we've been talking about for the past couple of minutes. And that's why Joey Anderson to me is so much more closer to getting in the lineup because he will fill in that bottom six role, probably can play on your penalty kill and do those kind of things you would ask of him. You know, Nick Robertson higher up. Timothy Logan for me, I'll tell you right now, this is make or break for him this year. If he doesn't make the Leafs this year, I think the Leafs, not only, I don't think they're going to cut ties with him. I think he'd, they'd be more than happy to keep him with the AHL, but I think he would want to move on. I think he would want to find himself another landing spot. Um, try, yeah. You know, Sandine definitely is going to be a part of the squad, but for Lily, I think this is make or break. Yeah, it, it's a prove-it year for him, and I think it's the perfect year to do it because it's kind of a prove-it year for everybody, right? I mean, if this team doesn't get past the first round this year, I think it's, you're, you're looking at a nuclear type of blow-up, I believe, and it, it's it's going to start with the front office. I'm sure we can get to that later, but it's a prove-it year for everybody, so I think it's kind of the perfect opportunity to see what you have and either get it done or don't. Yes, yeah, no, for one, sure. Definitely one of those years. Well, let's talk about the other guy they brought in. Obviously, we haven't talked about Petr Mrazek yet. Um, a goaltender that is used. Here's the thing. I love listening to people say, well, this is ridiculous. I don't know why we went and got this goaltender. Do you know what this team needs? It needs that tandem. So Jack Campbell was always going to be part of a tandem. And you need a goaltender who understands playing either A, as a backup, or B, part of a tandem. Freddie did not want to be a part of a tandem. When they had Curtis McElhaney, he understood that he was the backup. He wasn't challenging to be the starter, but he understood his role. So now you have a player, Petr Mrazek, who understands how to play the 1A, 1B system as a goaltender in a tandem, comfortably. He's not wanting to be the starter. Obviously, every goaltender who goes in the net wants to be the starter. But what I'm saying is he's not coming in there with the expectation that I'm number one. He knows he'll be sharing that net with Jack Campbell. There's no issue with that. Jack Campbell knows the same thing. He knows he's not starting that net. He's going to be sharing that net. And obviously you'll roll with the hot hand and how it goes, it goes. The problem I have with the Petter Razik signing is the attitude issues he had when he was in Detroit. They're well-documented. You can read about them. Those things can creep in. But from all things I've heard from Carolina, he was a great teammate, great in a tandem, did everything asked of him, not a problem. So I just want to make sure that we're getting the Petter Mrazek that is happy and ready to roll. And, you know, some of the comments coming out of the Leafs locker room with guys leaving and things like that make you wonder if there's a little bit of toxicity in there and if some of these guys that we brought in just snuffed that out. But I want to know from you, getting Petr Morazic, are you comfortable with that tandem? Are you comfortable with those two goaltenders running with the crease for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Because a lot of people said you're not going to win with this tandem and you cannot win a Stanley Cup with these two guys, which I don't know if you followed along, but I pointed a whole list of guys that have done this before and come in and want a Stanley Cup, whether it's Bennington, Murray, whether it's Antiniemi, all kinds of different guys who played in tandems and stepped in for a starter or whatever and ran with the net and did something magical. So it can happen. But for you, where do you land on Penn Razik? Uh, I, I don't think you're looking at a tandem. I think he is the backup. Uh, you might not see that for the first third of the season because I think they'll, they will want to get a look at both guys fairly. 
but like Mrazek only played 12 games last year. He had 23 goals against um, his save percentage on unblocked shots, which I actually think is more valuable than block shots because you always get the deflection. It was a, a nine, five, seven, which is fantastic. Um, which it, it was above his expected save percentage too, which is very rare to see in a goalie. You know, his goals against average, which I believe is actually a team stat, is uh, was 2.21. So we'll, we'll see. He was 0 0.66 uh, higher. His, his save, his goals against average was 0 0.66 higher than expected. You know, his wins above replacement was 1.19. All signs point to this guy being a successful goalie if they put him in a situation where he's going to be successful at. And I think that's between the 20 to 30 game mark, probably 25 to 30. And then you just hope that Campbell can do the other 50. You're going back to an 80 games, 82 game season next year. You know, maybe you look at a like you might, maybe you do do a 41 41 split for the first season and see where it goes. But I, I don't, I didn't hate them as exciting. Like there were worse gold held goaltenders out there, and you're not going to bring in a bigger name with the cap space you have. Just be like, you weren't going out there to get blue battle. That just wasn't going to happen. So um, I, I think it was. It, it, Dubas does this a lot. Like that wasn't even a name that was on my mind, and then it was probably one of the first signings of the day. I see, I'm like, oh, you know what? That actually makes sense. I, I like that. I don't hate it. So he's a decent goaltender. He's shown that he can play in the NHL, and he's shown that he can be, you know, he can run with the net when he's hot. When he's cold, he's a very cold goaltender, but he does seem to snap out of it pretty quickly. I believe his longest losing streak was only like five games, which is pretty good for a goaltender. Yep. Um, I mean, hopefully we don't see that, but. He's had some hot streaks in the year. He looked pretty good in Carolina. I don't hate it. I think it's a great signing for the Leafs. He'll, he'll share the net with Campbell for the first start of the season, and then we'll just see where it goes from there. And maybe Campbell goes, you know, 11 and two, and then Mrazic jumps in, goes 11 and two, and they keep rotating. Yeah. You know? And you know what? And, and I think that's the, I think that's the Leafs plan. They just want to see what they have. They're going to have to see what they have for the first third of the season, because I don't think they know what they have until you hit the ice. It's going to be hard to tell until you see the boys in action. Well, one thing that they, the Leafs really wanted a backup goaltender for or a tandem for is if you look at the month of April, going into the playoffs, if the Leafs do end up making the playoffs, which we hope they do, I think they will with this roster, um, they absolutely get slaughtered due to the schedule in April. So yeah. they have a lot of games, a lot of back-to-backs, a lot of on-the-roads. So having that tandem situation rolling at that point in the season may be uh, very beneficial to the Toronto Maple Leafs and hopefully – Injuries do not plague this team in goaltending like they did last mm -hmm. year, but we shall see. But I want to ask you before we jump off the Leafs and start going around the league a little bit here on um, the second half of the show tonight, um, you look at the, the Toronto Maple Leafs front office. We touched on them a little bit there. This year here for me, I said it last offseason, but obviously COVID came in and kicked down the door and said, hey, we're not having a regular season. We're going to have a shortened one. This is the first full season for Kyle Dubas and the first full season – for Sheldon Keith. And by full season, I mean full 82 game season. Yeah, together. With, camp, with, you know, practices, no black cloud of Babcock or anything else. Yeah. Hopefully, COVID doesn't mess with it, but you get the full 82 game scope. This is their season. And it sucks to say this, but this for me, for them, is a make or break season. They get one yeah. full season to show, hey, you, and I'll say this Sheldon Keith last year, the defense took steps. They were a better defensive awesome. team last year. So now he has even more time to work on the power play, the penalty kill, more time to work on that D, more time to get that core structure that he wants in with this team over that 82-game season. So hopefully those strides keep being made 
and they take the next step in the playoffs. But I look at this season for Dubas and Keith and say, hey, if you guys don't get it done or this squad doesn't get it done, everybody's rolling. And I don't think Dubas is safe. I don't think Keith is safe. I don't think Brendan Shanahan is safe. Yeah. I think it'll be, again, a front office scorched earth and they bring in something different. But for whatever reason, you look at a lot of teams when they get this to this point. Washington, I look at them. I look at the um, – who else? Uh, Washington, St. Louis, you name it. Teams that get their team pinned back against the wall and it says, well, this is the end of the year. This is it. So if they don't win this year, they're going to blow it up or go in nuclear – those teams went out and had good years, went out and had good success in the playoffs and seemed to put it together. So we'll see because this is going to be the most pressure-filled season for not only the players on the ice, but everybody on that bench and everybody in that front office from Dubas to Pridham all the way down. This is going to be the most crucial season for all of them. And everything has to hit. Every deal you've signed, every player you've backed, everything has to come to fruition this season. Otherwise, I think they're all walking out the door. And I think one of those core three, as I call it, because it's not the core four, six, nine for Willie Nylander is not a handicap deal for what he brings. One of those three players on the $11 million deals will be out the door. And I do think it will be Mitch Marner. I think it should have been Marner this offseason, but that was probably my emotions getting the best of me. Um there's a guy on Twitter. I don't know if you follow him at Jay Fresh Hockey. He's really yep. good. Uh, he has some stuff. I think I subscribe to a couple of his things. He he always he has this model and it pumps out um, it, it pumps out predicted standings based on what the teams had. And on August, you get the date right here. On sorry, July 30th, he pumped out some standings with the current rosters that the team has. And he had Toronto finishing second in the Atlantic at 109 points, just two points behind Tampa Bay, who got 111. And then eight points ahead of Florida, who had 102, and Boston also had 102. So this team, the models like it. I think Dom Lecision had a, had some positive things with his model too with the Leafs. So, yep. but like I say, the model, the model and the ice, uh, you know, the eye test and analytics, they don't always meet. That's why you got to be fair and look at both sides, which I think I do a, a fair job of doing. So I, I always like looking at the offseason predictions and then taking a, a look at what they do on the ice. So. We'll see what happens there, but just wanted to shout that out because I thought it was, you know, people are saying this team doesn't even have potential with the names they have on paper. And you look at that, second in the Atlantic, so. Well, that's what I was saying so, earlier, though. I mean, you, you look at this and you look at what the models show or whatever, right? I look at all these things too. I'm with you on that. Um, but then you look at all the fans saying this team isn't going to contend with the signings they made. It's like, can you pull your head out of your ass for a second and just look at what's going on? Yeah. Just look at this team, Okay. Even without those signings, you still have Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares, O'Reilly, Brody, Muzzin. You have two capable goaltenders in the net. A lot of teams don't have that. A lot of teams don't have one superstar. Superstar is what I'm calling. A guy who scores in the top five of the NHL, in my eyes, superstar. A guy who wins the Rocket Richard Trophy, superstar. Yeah. A guy who's a point-per-game player for your team, John Tavares, superstar Willie Nylander I'll put him on the rung he's a star because he can get it done if he turns it on he could probably be a 40 goal scorer if he turns it on but I'm just saying teams don't have that luxury in the Leafs do so I think everybody needs to park their emotions again I'm going to say this park those emotions and get excited for what's going to happen with this team everything you everything the meathead section of Leafs Nation has asked for has now come to fruition 
You've got your Nick Richies. You've got your Curtis Gabriels. You've got your physical players, which avoid, we all love. I avoid that side of Twitter. I know, but you know what? You see it still. Yeah. You still see it. And it's a very vocal minority, but you still see it in a lot of people. When the Leafs lose or the Leafs are in this part of the season, a lot of people jump onto those bandwagons with those type of guys yeah. and start getting hyped up with them because they're still upset and pissed off, which as like I said, just park your emotion and get excited for what we have. Cause this season mm-hmm. probably will be really good. And this yeah. season probably they will take those next steps, but we don't know until they get on the ice and it sucks. We have to wait 82 games until next spring to see it. But guess what? This is what we got. And if you're a fan of a hockey team, this is what you sign up for. Yeah. You sign up for the heartache and you sign up for the excitement and you sign up for the disappointment and you sign up for the excitement. Hi, yeah. Raptors fans. We just lost Kyle Lowry. You sign up for that too. You sign up for it across the board. Yeah, so, but you, you know what though? It's You mentioned that it doesn't really matter till April and it doesn't. I don't care what this team does in the regular season. If you win the division, great. Prove it in the playoffs. And I think that's what yeah. we're waiting for. Like I'm not going to get and like I was saying this in the beginning, I was heated after that playoff loss because that was that was friggin' heartbreaking. But you look at, at this team now, yeah, they have potential, but I don't care if they have potential in the regular season. Finish fourth for all I care. Make the playoffs and upset the first seed or whatever. I don't it, it's you gotta prove it for me in the playoffs. And I think that's when I'll start to really like care about this team again is when they make the playoffs. But the regular season, if they lose to three two in overtime to friggin', I don't know, Seattle, I'll be like, oh, oh well. Get it done in April, you know, like it's, it, it, and that's what this team's done. And I think a lot of fans feel that way. I mean, I say that now, but then I'll be, you know, at, at, at the Scotiabank arena, I had a couple beers and, you know, Marner gets the stick in overtime and I'll be the happiest guy on earth when he scores the goal. But as for now, level-headed, level-headed coach Josh is saying, I, I don't, I, I'm not that excited. No, I'm excited, but I won't have as much uh, investment See, in the regular The benefit season. I had here is I, you know what, I took a break took a break from it all i didn't do a podcast didn't do videos didn't do tiktoks didn't do nothing mm-hmm. and then i came back to it i took a pause and my excitement's there because you know what i'm like a kid in the candy store every time there's ufa i can't wait to see what the leafs are going to do can't wait to see what this team is going to do on the ice i want to plug it all into nhl whatever version you're playing and seeing how it performs on the models when i'm playing with it I don't care. I want to see it. I want to enjoy it. Yeah. I want to, this, this is an outlet. This is something you do to get excited about. Like this podcast is an outlet to vent when you're pissed off about the Leafs and have some fun talking about it. And now look, we're laughing and smiling about it. So for me, the Leafs are a, a zone where you come in, you can be pissed off, happy, angry, mad. doesn't matter your emotion. You're still going to enjoy the team when it gets on the ice. Everybody is. We'll all be amped up opening night. We'll all want to know who's in the roster. We'll all want to know who's starting in net. You know, you can't tell me you don't want to know those things. So, yeah. you know, it's all going to come back to that that point when it gets to that point. But right now we're in the dog days of summer. So everybody's going to be, like I said, jumping on with Meathead Twitter for the Leafs Nation and just banging their drum that this sucks and this team sucks and everybody sucks. But come game one, everybody on the Leafs will be the biggest king in the city because that's just the way it goes and the way the cards fold. But, hey, we're going to move on from the Leafs because obviously we got to get around the NHL. So we're going to make this easy. I want to ask you, Josh, I want to get your three teams you think that are the most improved this offseason just by the moves they've made. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking about this. I have it written down. Uh, so number one, I thought the Kraken had a great free agent signing. Like they didn't have a great expansion draft, but 
their free agent signings were pretty good. They got Philip Grubauer, you know, best the finalist last year, 1.95 GAA, 9.22 save percentage. Nothing to, you know, frown at. And they also have uh, Chris Drieger to a three-year, $10.5 million deal. That was that, a pretty solid goaltending duo. Uh, and they also got more, more scoring depth, which they didn't have after their expansion draft. You know, they got James Sports and Alexander Wenberg. And then they also added Jamie Alexiak, shout out to his sister who's doing fantastic in the Olympics right now, and Adam Larson. I think they overpaid quite a bit for Alexiak, but he's going to add some size to that lineup, which they already had. It was a good day. It was a good couple of days for that team. They did really well. But I think the most important thing is they added the things they needed, but also left themselves with around $16 million in cap space. So they're going to be looking at the trade deadline. I think the Kraken are approaching this the right way because um, they're in a weak division. So either this team runs hot for the first half of the season and then they approach the trade deadline and they can decide, okay, we're all in. And now they have $16 million at the trade deadline. Or they can say, oh, you know what? We're not quite there this year. And then you still have $16 million for the next free agency, probably plus some to get rid of some guys. Uh, I like what they did. My second team that I think did well is the Devils. Um, they needed, you know, Bottom line, they needed an elite defenseman, and they got one in Doug Hamilton, seven-year contract, $9.5 million per season. I thought that was about $2 million over what he deserved, but you always get overpaid in free agency. Uh, he's a great skater, too, so he'll do well on that team. And they also added uh, more goaltending. You know, they got Johnny Jonathan Bernier, two-year deal, you know, gives adds some experience. Um, you know, uh, who's their starter? Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood now has a reliable backup, so I didn't hate that signing because Bernier had some pretty good numbers on an absolutely terrible Red Wings team last year. So we'll see what happens <laughs> there. And then I thought the Kings had a pretty good um, UFA period too. You know, they got Philip Deneau, they got Alex Adler, and they got, uh, I always mess up his name, but NFS, NNSDU or whatever it is. Andreas NSDU. Andreas NNSDU. So I think the Kings are going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. They kind of remind me, they're like a Senator's heavy version because I think they're going to be better than the senators with their young talent. But, um, you know, those three teams kind of stood out to me on the free agency day and I liked what they did. So I, I didn't hate it. Uh, yeah. So that's the Kraken, the devils and the Kings were the top three winners for me personally. Well, I'm going to echo you on the, uh, the LA Kings and shout out to Dennis Bernstein of the fourth period friend of the show. He would be uh, mad at me if I didn't say how much we think the, Young players are going to play a role on this team next year and take a step to Turcotts and all those kind of players that are waiting to get in the lineup and take that next step. So I'll shout out him on that. But I do believe guys like Philip Deneau, you put him in behind Anze Kopitar. Now you have two Selkie-worthy centers, one, two in your lineup. Alexander Edler comes back, helps out that back end. Andreas Anasiu, you know, a player that can put the puck in the net, can play a little bit of a heavy game. And also another, you know, wire kind of signing leas anderson coming over there yeah. he used to property of the new york rangers uh we all know he did the silver medal tossing over the glass and all that good stuff that but was my he, favorite moment <laughs> well, it, was you know, so, you know I, it wasn't the medal toss it was the fan that caught it took off four jerseys to reveal the sweet that jersey that was so good yeah no it was it was absolutely awesome but uh yeah to see him come over to that squad as well adds a little bit more center depth a little bit more offensive pop and things like that so another player you can bet on and see what he can do. I mean, low cost, I think in the 700,000 range for him. So league min, I think 764. So not bad. The LA Kings was one of my teams. My other team, 
I begrudgingly say this only because I work with a Flyers fan who rubs a lot of salt in the wound. And then it was the last year of high school for me when these guys put out the Leafs with a Jeremy Roenick shot coming down the wing and the Philadelphia Flyers. For me, the trades they made to address their back end, to help out Carter Hart, you know, that was huge. But then also going out and signing a veteran goaltender to back him up in Martin Jones, a guy who probably needed a new start somewhere else, a one-year so, $2 million deal. I'm going to cut you off there. Martin Jones yep. is a not-so-good goalie who has been traded or signed in a market that is not goalie-friendly. I can't think oh, of a word. I cannot think of a worse market to be a mediocre goaltender than Philadelphia. So I really hope it works out for him because he needs a break. Well, I hope it does too. But here's the thing, all signs point from the way that they've built their defense, that it should be better than it was last year for him yep. from San Jose. And it should be better for Philly as a whole, the way they've readdressed this team and bringing, making players who want to play there. Like they got rid of Warcheck, who obviously did not want to be there, bringing a character guy like Nate Thompson, uh, bringing in a, a power play specialist in Keith Yandel. I mean, that's huge, right? You you build that defense up. And now you guys got you got guys like Ellis. You got Yandel. You got those players that you want to bring in to change that culture. You also bring in Cam Atkinson from the Columbus Blue Jackets, another I care and want to play for your team player. So yeah. I like what Philly did in their offseason with the signings and everything. And the other team that I really like, and I'm going to get grilled over the things for this for being a damn homer, I like what the Leafs did, and that's an easy answer, but I do I like left what them they, off my list on purpose, but I did like what they did. You know, they went out, had a simple offseason. They weren't splashy. They weren't flashy, but they plugged the holes they needed to plug, and I don't give a rat's. We didn't even talk about this guy, which we should have. I think that your third-line center is going to be Kampf, and he's a defensive center. He's going to win you draws, and when I think of defensive centers, I think of Mike Zygamanis, a guy who win the draw little bit physical, a little bit scrappy. I think of Yannick Perot, guys like that yeah. who can win the draws back in the day with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I look at this guy and say, same elk. Can win the draws, played against the top offense of the other team when he was in Chicago, was looked upon for penalty killing stuff, can be that guy that will help you out. And that's an under-the-wire signing or, you know, water signing, whatever you want to call it, that we didn't talk about. But I think the Leafs definitely had a low-key good off season, And I know I'm going to roast it for that, but I definitely do think they did. For now, we'll flip the coin. What are the three teams for you that had a bad offseason? Absolutely bad offseason and, you know, may have turned their fortunes to the worst. Uh, I'll start from three and go to one because I think that'll be funnier this way. Uh, my number three team who had a their third place team had an awful offseason was the Calgary Flames. Their big move was signing Blake Coleman to a six-year $29.4 million contract. Like, yeah, he's a great player. He's won two Stanley Cups in the last two years, but that is a massive cap hit and a lot of term for a guy that is now going to a team that's not really a cap contender. And they did absolutely nothing to improve their blue line after losing Mark Giordano to the Kraken. Uh, they needed, the Flames needed to, needed a shakeup here. They needed to either get rid of Kachuk or get rid of Gaudreau and um, Monaghan. And they didn't do any of that. They've done absolutely nothing to help their team. And it's really tough to see this team actually taking steps forward this year. They could do it and prove me wrong, but I just can't see it. Uh, my second team, and I'm surprised it came down to this, were the Carolina Hurricanes. Like they ranked third in save percentage last year and fourth in goals allowed with the goalies they had. They lost Nadolkovich, they lost Reimer, and they lost Mrazic. Um, they, you know, traded Nadolkovich to the Red Wings, and then they signed him to a two-year, $6 million contract. 
I didn't understand this for the Hurricanes. I thought it was a horrible look for them. Then they bring in Freddie Anderson and Andy Ranta, along with Alex Leon. It's a massive downgrade. Like, we love Freddie, um, but that's a downgrade. And the Hurricanes didn't have, or they did have the cap space to re-sign Dougie Hamilton, but they decided not to do it. They don't want to pay the players. And they also brought in Tony D'Angelo, which, yeah, he's a good NHL defenseman, but that was not the best PR move for them. And then my number one team that, you know, didn't really do much or the signings didn't make sense to me with the Boston Bruins. Like they added a lot of depth up front in free agency with Nick Foligno, Thomas Mansk, Eric Halla. Uh, on the back end, they brought in Derek Corbett. But they also re-signed two of their own free agents. Obviously, they re-signed Tyler Hall and Mike Riley. Uh, goaltender in line is Olmark, but I don't know if he's the guy for that. Their need was a top four defenseman, and it hasn't been addressed. Along with David Krejci leaving the Bruins and going back to Czech Republic, which was a family move for him, they don't yep. really have you know any guys in the system to fill his role. Bellino was beat up. You know Charlie Coyle is going to be a third line center. I don't really know what's going to go on with this team. I don't think they have guys who can step up and fill the role. Like they'll probably make the playoffs, but I just think the Bruins could have done a lot more instead. They decided to stick with their guys. So I thought the I thought the Bruins had more potential. Sure, their signings may have been great, but I expected more from Boston, and they didn't deliver. And I was kind of disappointed by it, which is why they're number one on my list. I, I'll get I'll get heat for that, but I don't care. Well, I'll go from three to one as well, and I will say I'll echo you on the Boston Bruins. Um, this smacks of the fact that you know that uh, Tuka Rask will sign a deal once he's healed up from his hip yeah. surgery and back with the Boston Bruins. Um, but for me, Linus Allmark, man, I don't know if that's going to carry you to a spot in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And will the hole be too deep by the time Rask comes back for this team to get there? And, hey, let me remind everyone that Bergeron and Marshan, they're not exactly getting any younger especially Bergeron. I so, feel like we say that every year, though. Yeah, but you know what? Father time eventually catches up to guys, and yeah. this will probably be that year because you don't have the goaltending, so now you have to play a little bit harder. You have to score more goals. You have to have more goal support than you're used to having to have. I know you have Pasta and other guys and Taylor Hall to score goals, but I don't know, man. It all starts from that net, and if you can't stop the puck, you're not winning very many games unless you have one of those top-flight Connor McDavid-type guys which last right. I checked is only one in the league. So he's only on Edmonton and not the Boston Bruins. So yeah, they ranked third for me. The other team, I'm going to echo you again. It sucks. We have the same list, Carolina Hurricanes. Um, and for me, it's not just losing the goaltenders, which blew my mind. That was I mean, you crazy. should have kept, kept that young goaltender and signed Ranta, but instead, for whatever reason, you were married to the idea of signing Freddie Anderson. He was linked to them for other trades. So they wanted him. So they went and they got their guy, I guess, and that's what it is. But for me, it's you've built a brand here. You've built such a thing with this Carolina Hurricane team, a bunch of jerks. Everybody rallied around you, even us. We didn't like yeah. another team, but hey, what you did was cool. The end of the game with the claps and all the different things they did, they brought new energy to the game. But then you go and get someone like Tony D'Angelo. I think that just takes a hit to all that, all that credibility and all that stuff you built up, all that goodwill goes out the door the second you do something like that. And I don't care how they spin it and how that player spins it or how the GM spins it or whatever Rod Brindamore can do to rehabilitate this guy. It's not going to matter. It's what's already happened. You shouldn't have brought him in. And the reason why you brought him in is because you didn't want to pay Dougie Hamilton $9 million. You wanted to pay $1 million for the guy to do the same job. 
and you didn't care what it did to your brand, which sucks because you spent so long building that up and making it something that people were actually excited and proud to be around. Now that's taken a huge hit and who knows where they go from there. But there's, if you look online, there's people saying they're not going. There's people leaving the team in the PR department and different departments throughout, just leaving and saying, thank you. I've been here for however many years, but I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And they're not being negative about it, but they're just saying I'm done. And you look, you know, that smacks of what happened. Um, for me, my last team, though, we'll move, move away from that negativity right there. Uh, for me, the last team is the Vancouver Canucks. And I say this really? because I say this because I know you bring in a guy like Oliver Ekman Larsman. And I know you bring in a lot of different players to help bulk out your lineup. Like you bring in Yaroslav Halak, you know, to to shore up the net position with Thatcher Demko. You do the Luke Shen signing, the Sutter signing, Tucker Pullman at that contract. I don't know. I don't know. Same thing with Travis Hamnick. I don't know. That's a that's a juicy deal, man, for players that you know are now signed to longer term deals. And you have Pedersen to sign. You have Quinn Hughes to sign. You have these deals that need to be done, and to move those core players forward, you're also going to have to probably give Besser something else very soon. Yeah, I think next couple of years. So now you've gone and traded all of these guys who are on expiring deals which you could have set yourself up, which which at what everybody thought they were going to do, set themselves up for the future. And now you've brought in all these things. You've signed Connor Garland to that deal as well. You know, the what, uh, 4.95, you know, almost $5 million per year. Then you bring in OEL at what? I think he's at nine, almost nine. Yeah, like close to that. Or something. But you know what I mean? Like, to me, it didn't make sense. It, it, it smacks of a GM. And I say that word because I, I like the way it sounds. It, it smacks of a GM that is desperate. I said this last week. A GM that's swinging for the fences and doesn't care what mess he leaves for the next guy. He wants to win. And if Vancouver yeah. wins, then we all look like idiots and you know they're the genius. But to me, this does not seem like you're setting your team up for future success. It's, it's, it's definitely for a now move. It's definitely a now move. And OEL probably won't even be the focal point of this trade. It'll be Connor Garland. But at the same time, this does not set you up for future. This puts you in a hole behind the eight ball, whatever you want to call it. So that's why Vancouver to me is my number one team that I say, I don't know what you're doing this off season, but you had the opportunity to have all the cap space in the world and be set up nicely to add to those guys that you're so coveted about. But now you've gone and spent that cap space other ways. Like you didn't need to find Tucker Pullman to that. Yeah. My only thing with the Canucks is I think if I was to rank the teams from 1 to 32, I think the Canucks would be 16 for me, like right in the middle, because they kind of undid the moves they made last year that made them worse. So I, I, I kind of have to give them credit for that. And then they also made some moves to hurt them. That's the only thing I would push back on on that. But other than that, I do see where you're kind of doubting the Canucks. But we'll see what happens with them. They have so much potential to be a fantastic team. And it's just I feel like management's ruining it. You know, you know what? The, the scary thing for Vancouver, Josh, is it all hinges on the health of Elias Patterson. It's a not player. even that. The most dangerous person on that team is Jim Benning with cap space because he will just sign anybody he freaking wants, man. Like they, well, they need, I don't know that. how they don't have a guy in that room saying, Jim, do not answer that no. phone. Do not but pick up man. that phone. Wait until day two or three. You do not need to be offering this guy that contract. That's more than he should be made. And Jim's there like, I know it. I'm going to go dye my hair jet black and play freaking Paul Bearer. But I don't know. It's just something that 
he's a fantastic like he's a really smart hockey mind but he is not a good yeah. gm no and i mean that's what it'll go down but that's why i said this year for him it's the desperation is what's coming to this yeah that's desperation that's what it smacks of it huge desperation there and but i want we'll... i want all canadian teams except the montreal canadians to do well so i really hope the canucks figure it out yeah as long as they don't affect the leafs i'm good with that well, yeah, the Western Montreal and Ottawa. Yeah, Montreal and Ottawa. I had Ottawa. Sorry, sorry, Mister Trottier. I know you're listening, PA voice for the Sens, but I do not want them to do well. I do not want them to finish above the Leafs. They're annoying enough as it is. But um, to move on to some other stuff around the league here, we got uh, a few more things to get to before we wrap. Uh, Evander Kane. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a story in Winnipeg. He was a story in Buffalo. He was a story now in San Jose. Um, obviously, I'm not going to touch the personal life stuff. That is, uh, you know, divorces are messy. Things get said. You know, that's not for us to disseminate and pick apart and figure out. That's not for us. But I will say the looking into the match fixing or gambling on games, you know, his own games, that is huge. Um, that yeah. is something that I hope they get to the bottom of. And I hope he didn't do it. Um, you know, you look at Robin Leonard coming out and saying, you know, what he said, and not in support of Kane, but just saying, hey, listen, you know, people go through things and they need it was help. a pre- I, I liked what Leonard did because I don't think he was taking sides, but he was kind of giving no. a, a perspective on, hey, like, don't don't shit on the guy until it's been proven. Well, that and also he's saying that he needs help, right? Yeah. He needs help. He doesn't need to be smacked down anymore. He needs help. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's, he's at the bottom. Like, you can't keep smacking him down. You have to eventually lift the guy up and start helping him in the right way. I get that. But here's the thing. Like again, personal stuff aside, the, the match fixing, the betting on your own games, that's – that's. I don't know what they're going to do if he did do it. Is he indefinitely suspended for life? Uh, so he would actually go to prison because it's a federal crime. So there you go. So obviously he's come out and denied it. Um, I forget who it was who was his teammate – or someone, someone who was very close to him said that he would be very shocked if that's what happened. Um, I think actually it was Robin Leonard. I do actually think it was Robin Leonard. Yeah, I think um, they, 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 they have they've played together. So Yeah, so I do think it was Robin Leonard. But the, the whole situation sucks because you, you don't want to see anybody do bad. He had the bankruptcy stuff. He had the bad teammate stuff in Winnipeg where they threw his clothes in the, you know, the shower and stuff like that. And now there's this picture of him trying to dap you know dustin bufflin he's shooting him the bird as he's walking by you know so you know he hasn't been the best teammate and apparently even in san jose there's some guys that don't exactly like what's going on there so i don't know did if this doesn't get wrapped up before the beginning of the season i'll ask you this one simple question about evander kane does he touch the ice uh so the nhl came out i think it was actually like 10 minutes before the show the nhl did say that they would wrap up this investigation by the start of training camp so they'll they will have an answer which is perfect um uh, we obviously won't touch on the family stuff because we don't know what's going on there but no. it, it, it is there's just a couple of notes here saying um you know in january kane did file for chapter seven bankruptcy with debts debts up to 26.8 million assets of 10.2 million and uh, according to this filing, he lost 1.5 million in gambling 12 months prior. So if he was, yeah, taking the statistic there in the notes, if he was betting on his own games and losing money, that I don't think he was. I don't know about that one. Um, but 
you know, and in a March filing, he said he was in counseling for his gambling issue, and he he was quoted. Uh, this was to the Athletic. With respect to my gambling, it has been an issue in my past, and it would be inaccurate to pretend it has not had a negative effect, a negative effect on my life, financially and otherwise. He wrote in a declaration attached to the March filing. I have undergone and continue to receive personal therapy to deal with it and other matters and hope that the issue is fine. So obviously from like that side, he is receiving help, which is the best thing to do for him. Um, he is a talented hockey player, but at the end of the day, if he's the investigation is still open, so we can't assume yeah. anything. We can't jump to any conclusions at the end of the day. Um, he needs to get himself in line, like in his personal life and all that. And, you know what? I hope for the sake of him that he hasn't been betting on his own games because that's a huge, huge thing. Like you see it. I, I don't know if it's ever happened in the NHL before. I know there was that whole controversy with the ring of people who were apparently betting on the games. And people looked into it, but it never happened. Never happened. There were some big games involved with that. Like Wayne Gretzky's. Yeah. That never panned out to be anything. Also, I don't really know if hockey is the type of sport where you can kind of bet on the game. Like, it, it will even throw games and things like that. I don't know, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a team-oriented team game. So. Yeah. Is he betting on his own turnovers? Like, I don't know about that. It's, it's interesting. I hate to say it. The one thing I took away from this story, and I don't know if this is something that anybody else thought of, the NHL was so fucking quick to jump on this and put out a public statement, Yeah, and they still have not said anything about class. We're going to get to that in just a second, but yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, no, we'll park the Evander Kane situation. For me, I just want to see it resolved, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that they will have it done before training camp because I really would have thought it was interesting to see him either on the ice or not on the ice because that's a story that will hang over a team, and you don't want any negative things. Heading into the first full season after a couple of pandemic plague seasons, you kind of want everything to be you know hunky-dory and ready to go, especially with Seattle coming in. You want no negative press. But you're going to get some with this next one. Um, you got the Chicago Blackhawks problem from 2010, you know, with the coach. Uh, we're not going to name names, but obviously um, Nick Boynton saying who knew about the Blackhawks situation named every single person. Yeah. I I didn't – you're going to have to fill me in on this because I didn't know – I don't. I haven't read this story, so I, I'd rather hear it from you because there was so – when I Googled it, there was so many articles, so I just want to hear – what it is yeah so nick boyton came out and said that i believe it was um i don't want to i think it was jonathan taves let me just see Give did you see second. uh yeah while you while you load that up jonathan taves was out with a uh, autoimmune disease this whole last season and he's at lollapalooza partying it up no, this weekend no playing having fun you know the delta variants out there where lollapalooza is and you're out there with your boys so so here's one thing that you want to keep an eye on. If you haven't already, follow Rick Questhead. Um, he will be on the Steve Dangle podcast yeah. this week. So you want to make sure for that one. But Nick Boyden says Patrick Kane, Patrick Sharp, Brian Campbell, and everybody else knew about the abuse from former video coach Brad Aldrich. So um, he said all these players know. Uh, so that's that's the who's who. That's yeah. the who's who on the team. That's your Caners, that's your Sharp, that's your leadership group. Soupy at that point was part of that leadership group. Um, you know, so everybody apparently knew. He's not the only one to say this. And here's the good thing, though. Now, I believe it's the owner of the team has come out and said every finding will be made public. 
So everyone will see that's, the findings that's of this huge. That's so huge. The only thing that Elliot Friedman said this might be a problem with is people wanting to come forward or say the truth because now they know their name's going to be out there because everything is going to be out there in the public. But here's the thing players like Nick Boyton and the other and Sopel and those guys are going to put it out there anyway. So if you're not going to and it ends up being found to be true and you're sitting there with your, your hands under your ass, not saying anything. You're, you're not going to look any better if your name was already mentioned in this or you're a part of it. You know, so if you sit back and say nothing, you're just as guilty as saying something. So you should get it all out there because it's all going to be made public. And by the sounds of it, it doesn't sound like it's going away. Rick no. Westhead has been putting the pressure on this, but everybody... Katie, I think we, if we're acknowledging Rick Westhead, we also need to acknowledge Katie Strang. She's done a fantastic yeah, Katie job Strang, yeah. as well. And I forget the, the other one as well. There's another person with Katie Strang who yeah. broke a little bit more of this as well. But yeah, no, they're putting the they're putting the feet to the fire, so to speak, and making sure something comes of this uh, because it wouldn't have. It, like they always say, it would have got lost in the, the Monday morning news cycle if it yeah. didn't. And this is the thing, you know, players like Nick Boynton and, and Brent Sopel and those guys coming out and saying what they've said. Now the ball's rolling. Now there is actual players mm-hmm. linking themselves to this. And now you have people saying, I don't want to talk about it, or I'm not going to comment about it, or I'm talking to such and such about it, but I'm not going to answer you about this right now. So you know there's stuff to this. So you know that there's going to be more of this. And I want this to come forward. And I will tell you right now, whoever is working in the NHL who knew about this and has now come out and denied it, whether it's Shevel Dayoff, Director of Player Personnel for the Chicago Blackhawks at the time, Mark Bergevin, whether it's Stan Bowman, whatever players and nobody did anything about it i think they should all all be gone from the nhl i think they should i don't care what your standing is with another team i think if you knew about this were a part of it turned a blind eye to it i think you should be gone no excuses no exceptions well you should be gone there's not really been anything like this that has come to light in the NHL or other sports. And I, I kind of did some digging and then it kind of, my light bulb kind of clicked. And the closest thing I could relate it to was the whole Donald Sterling thing. Um, when he was with the, I believe it was the Clippers and he made a yep. racist, he made a racist remark and they had an investigation and eventually he was forced to sell the team and he was fined $2.5 million, which was the maximum allowable under the CBA, blah, blah, blah. And since then, we haven't really heard anything from Donald Sterling. This is on a whole nother level because, you know, sexual abuse allegations, um, I'm sure we've all read the court filing. So that stuff is just absolutely disgusting. Um, I, I think you're looking at like, if all these people are found to be an accomplice in this, like you're looking at Shovel Day off gone from the league. Uh, all the coaching staff on that team gone from the league. Like you're looking Quinville, at yep. gone. Uh, Bergevin probably gone. You're looking at players who are currently under contract. You might have to suspend them or bar them from the league. And I don't know if you're going to kind of see an Astros situation here where if the players come forward and help the league, well, they'll, they'll have immunity over suspensions. I think this would help the suspensions massively because I don't know, man. Like it's such a tough situation to handle, and we want the right. We want the right. We want justice for what happened. Um, I just don't think, under the whole NHL and the culture of hockey, which needs to change, and it is slowly changing. It's gonna happen because I, 
it just never does. It never works out. I hope it does this time. I hope we see a massive overhaul in all these, you know, people that are still in the league, all these players that are still in the league and they try to hide it. I'd, lo- I'd love to see if any of these players actually ever spoke up to someone with the PA or with the league and if they were told to shut up and it'll be handled. But we'll see. I don't know. We can't really comment on it too much further because nothing else has been released and there's no, you know, it's not right to speculate on something that hasn't been closed. No, it's not. But like I said, the only reason why I'm saying what I'm saying is if there is, and this is found true, there has to be a precedent set here. But I've heard this one from a few people who are working on this and are a part of this. This is the tip of the iceberg for things that have gone on. Oh, this 100%. is the first one. And once this one starts to roll and this one picks up the traction and things are done with it, I believe you'll hear and see a hell of a lot more. Look what forward. happened. Look what happened with the coach. Uh, what was the what was the Calgary's coach? I don't remember his name now. He's coaching in uh, KHL. Over the yeah, I know who you're talking about. Um, um, oh, coach Carolina that went over to Calgary. Yeah. Um, um, oh, it's like, on the tip of my tongue. Doesn't doesn't even matter. I know what right? you're like that. That came out, and then eventually the Bab- Babcock stuff came out, and then a couple other things came out. The Dallas Star stuff came out, and look what happened there. And now this is coming out. It's going to be weird to see. It's going to blow up. Yeah. It's going to blow up, and it's going to be a whole bunch of other different things. Not not only for the NHL. I think it'll also affect you in your hockey as well. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll see things from across the board. And I'm going to say it like this: I think you'll see the cockroaches start to scurry. Yeah. Once things start to come down and punishments start to be doled out, I think you'll see a lot of people and a lot of different things start happening that you wouldn't expect to happen. Yeah. And it makes me wonder why there was rumblings about Bergevin you know, last season about maybe he wanted out, maybe he wanted to be done. Maybe he knew this was coming. And maybe he just knew he didn't want to face the music. But we'll see what happens. He's there now. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But speaking of the halves, and this is how we're going to close it out. Um, you know, you look at what happened with the Logan Malouse drafting and stuff like that. We all wanted to see what Molson was going to say and the Montreal Canadiens with a statement. I don't care what anybody says. And I had a back and forth with a prominent, you know, Scotian Canadian guy who does the half stuff. Shout out to him. For me, I felt it was greasy. It was slid in there a half an hour after free agency started and everybody's buzzing about everything else. And I had people point out, well, then, you know, it's a great time to put it out there because everybody's on social media and everybody's paying attention. No, no, no. They're not paying attention to that. Yeah, you, that was a news dump. You tried to bury it and all the free agency signings. It didn't work. You got caught. Yeah, I, I thought it was greasy. I thought it was the wrong way to handle it. No, the uh, only way the only way to describe it was fucking pathetic. Yeah, well, it was just like you just said, it was a news dump. Yeah. What they needed to do is they needed to release that by itself the day before free agency. You know, that in that middle ground right there, just drop it and put it out there and make the statement. Is what they said in that statement was there some good in it? Yes, there was some good in it. We yeah, talked about it last week, but it was the wrong way to do it. What kind of pissed me off about the statement was the guy said if he was at the draft, or, uh, not the guy, uh, Jeff Molson said if he was at the table, he wouldn't have made that draft. Dude, you own the team. You control yeah, everything that team does. You yeah. Don't tell me you didn't know about this shit before. Don't tell me you didn't know who the who your uh, GM was going to draft. That's your if bullshit. If you had PR pieces in place already, you knew. Yeah, Everybody. you fucking knew. So don't go and do that. Don't say that. You're. That's just trying to save faces. All that is. Sell the you team. Know, 
it's it's ridiculous. I, I didn't like the way that was done, but hey, you know, I look at it like this. I said it last week and I'll say it again this week. All I want is that young lady to have the resources to be able to have a normal life. Yeah. And they said they did say they were going to help her. Yeah. No, that's the one thing I took away from that. I was absolutely thrilled to hear that, but I want to see the receipts. I want to see that it's actually happening. Yeah. And I want that person to take those steps. But like I said, no matter what, the shadow, shadow of Logan Maloo and what he did will follow that person for the rest of their lives and their family. Yeah. Yeah. It'll always be there. But hey, this show here, it is on Mondays. We drop it probably on Tuesdays. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. We can't finish on that note. We gotta what? finish. We gotta finish on a positive note. So <laughs> we are gonna finish on a positive note. I was just letting people know when this is gonna drop, so they can actually yeah, start uh, listening to it. Well, when we're on a regular uh, road to We got like, a positive note here. Um, for those that have been paying attention to the Olympics, Canada with a massive one nothing win over the U.S. Woo! women's team, moving on to the gold medal game against Sweden. That will happen at 10 p.m. our time. Uh, Thursday night, which will be, I think, 11 a.m. in Tokyo. The time difference is totally screwing up these Olympic Olympics. But congratulations <laughs> to the um, the uh, Canadian women's soccer team at the Olympics. And some personal lose. Tied the knot yesterday. Your boys married. Official ceremony will be on September 4th. But we did the paperwork yesterday, and it was really anticlimactic. So now the title of this episode is Josh Got Married. Period. Go, Go ahead. That's the title right there. You heard it here first. Ladies and gentlemen, Offside Hockey Talk in your ears. Monday nights, hopefully up by Tuesday. And hey, this is Offside Hockey Talk where hockey comes to talk.